So there are quite a few more, um, more question marks in our titles uh, for our talks this morning. So I think that maybe says something about the uncertainty that uh, people who are mainly dealing in adaptation constantly feel they're uh, engaging with. Um, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Um, I work for AEA Group, which is a large environmental consultancy. We're based uh, not uh, too far away from Oxford, just a little bit further south. Um, and we've been working in adaptation for quite a number of years now. We work with, um, mainly with the private sector, with uh, the UK government, with the European Commission, uh, with local authorities, and increasingly with um, some private sector, with some companies as well, who are interested in understanding and managing climate risks. And I um, am responsible for the adaptation work uh, that we do. So thank you for uh, having me here today. Um, and I'm sure, as with many of the speakers today, we've been listening intently uh, over the last couple of days, and our thoughts have been uh, racing away with us. So I've, I have modified this slightly from what you'll read in the abstract, uh, just to, uh, in response, really, to, to listening to the, the discussions over the past couple of days. Um, but I'd like to start very briefly by uh, looking at what 4 degrees C climate change feels like. Not, not too much to say on that, because that's been the emphasis of this conference. Um, what are our current approaches to adaptation? Uh, and bear in mind, please, that this is uh, particularly from the UK context, although I think uh, some of what I say is, is more broadly applicable. I then think about, well, will these actually work if we're thinking about four degrees of climate change or even more? And then finally, well, what else can we do? Um, so there's been plenty of food for thought, hasn't there, over the last uh, couple of days about uh, the outcomes of four degrees of climate change or even more, and uh, their impact on a range of systems, um, food and water security. I was particularly struck by um, the, the session on sea level rise uh, and uh, the extent of the issues that we face there. Uh, we've had some focus on ecosystems, and we've had uh, that session yesterday looking at social aspects as well, human health, migration. Uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't really need to be told this, but, but impacts from four degrees C climate change are serious. Um, we're now looking at four degrees not being uh, one, one at tail end of the distribution, but really um, much more likely than uh, we have perhaps uh, earlier imagined and uh, possible by the 2070s. So the impacts are there. We understand a bit more about the outcomes. Um, and we now know that in terms of our responses, we really do have to deal with four degrees C climate change. We need to think about it. Uh, we need to think about mitigation to avoid as uh, much of the, the highest end of those impacts as we can. But really, we also need to be thinking about it in terms of our adaptation as well. So this isn't just a thought exercise. We need to know whether our adaptation approaches really can deal with the kind of climate change that four degrees sea warming might present. So what are the current approaches that we have to adaptation? Uh, well, really, we've been looking at managing the unavoidable. And I think the question that is raised by uh, the conference uh, over the last few days is that actually we may be needing to manage those things which previously we thought were avoidable. Um, so whereas our focus has been uh, on thinking about what we might call reasonable climate change or the likeliest climate change scenarios, and certainly not the worst case scenarios, 
uh, we might be needing to, to move on from that. But any, in any case, our current approaches in terms of assessments, in terms of evidence building, and so on are these things on the left here. We've been thinking about, we've been using impacts assessments, um, a sort of traditional building from impacts models, trying to see the extent of the impacts in different sectors. Uh, we draw evidence from economic prioritizations. We use vulnerability assessments. We use risk analysis in a range of forms. Uh, and alongside all of that, we use um, very often stakeholder participatory um, approaches that, that can be sort of combined with, with many of these other approaches. And in terms of strategies to then um, implement adaptation or uh, move forward with adaptation, uh, capacity building is very much um, the first step, uh, which is all about creating the necessary information and the conditions for action. Uh, and then largely our response has been to think about mainstreaming. Uh, so for example, there's this quote here from one of um, DEFRA's uh, publications that uh, adaptation is about assessing climate change risks uh, and, and asse this assessment should become uh, business as usual, part of normal risk management and business planning. It's about mainstreaming, it's about drawing climate change alongside everything else that we do and um, making some changes. Uh, and I've put down there a tiered approach, very much it is this, uh, this sort of thought of starting with capacity building, um, introducing uh, mainstreaming, uh, introducing what we might think of, Mark mentioned, no regrets options where we can find them, win-win um, options uh, before uh, having to think about and commit to perhaps much larger investments that might be further downstream. So that's a, a sort of a, a caricature, I suppose, but of, of the kinds of um, approaches that we currently have. And I would say that I'm not saying that any of these things are wrong or bad, but I would make the observation that perhaps in the way that we've used some of these approaches, we have used them in quite a restricted way. Um, and perhaps we need to look at changing that. Uh, so more, more specifically within the UK, we do have a range of tools available to help with adaptation, not least provided by the UK Climate Impacts Programme uh, and increasingly from other um, agents as well. Um, there's been mention over the conference already about uh, the UK climate projections, new projections produced within the UK, which really represent a huge step forward in terms of um, climate modelling, climate model output and making climate change information available to all sorts of users. It includes probabilistic information for the, for the first time, notwithstanding uh, all of Lenny's comments earlier about exactly what we mean about uncertainty and probability and so forth. Um, but these climate change scenarios do represent a, a whole package of information with uses to uh, inform impacts assessments and to raise awareness. Um, there does seem at this, uh, and I should uh, add as well, that we're at the very early stages of, of trying to work out how to use them and understand how to use this uh, enormous data set. But it does seem that at least initially people are likely to use central estimates within that climate change package. So, for example, there, were, there are statements such as a central estimate of the increase in summer mean temperature could be around about X degrees centigrade, very unlikely to be less than Y degrees Celsius, and very unlikely to be greater than Z degrees Celsius, whatever those numbers might be. But that, that's the kind of presentation that we're dealing with at the moment. And there's a huge question about how it's possible to use information that might be at the tail ends of those distributions. 
Um, a second tool that I'll just raise as an example that we have within the UK is um, in the area of indicators to support work at a local level to adapt. So within the national framework for um, uh, performance of local authorities, there's an indicator which is about preparing to adapt to climate change. It's a process-based indicator which local authorities have to report against and its aim is to ensure that uh, risks and opportunities from climate change are embedded within all of the services uh, and other work that um, local authorities do. That indicator has a, a number of levels. It provides some guidance. It provides um, a, a checklist, really, of how local authorities might move towards building the information they might need to adapt to climate change. But it is very much a process indicator. Uh, and there's a whole host of other tools um, that are available and that are being used within the UK to assist in adaptation. Um, and, I, and then one specific example I'll move on to is uh, the UK Climate Change Risk Assessment, which is about to begin. Now, this is um, a statutory requirement within the UK now since the Climate Change Act was introduced last year. Um, and within this risk assessment, um, it looks likely that it's going to be based very strongly on the UK climate projections. Um, it will need to be consistent with existing policy appraisal methods because it is um, going to be the UK government's major tool to build evidence to make uh, decisions on uh, adaptation. So there will have to be economic analysis, prioritisation within this um, approach. Uh, but given that it's based on the projections, given that it has to conform with existing policy appraisal methods, it's, it looks at this outset stage, and I will stress that it's the, the beginning of a, of a sort of 18-month process here, and um, a lot of things could happen over the le next 18 months, but long-term and or the low probability, should we say, the extreme scenarios look increasingly look like they will be very difficult to address within these sorts of frameworks. Not least because um, these sorts of scenarios always seem to fall to the bottom of a priority list when they're assessed by a sort of standard uh, appraisal criteria because they seem to be the ones that we think are lowest probability and we should perhaps therefore pay less attention to. But the climate change risk assessment is absolutely key because it will form the basis for a national adaptation programme going forward. This isn't a one-off for the UK. Um, it's a part of a sort of five-year rolling programme. So it's not that this one assessment will then um, determine the, the course of uh, events for years and years to come. Um, but it will nevertheless be the, the um, underpinning evidence for an adaptation programme for the UK. And there is perhaps a danger, therefore, that if the climate change risk assessment cannot cope with thinking about much larger extensive climate change, there is potentially a danger for maladaptation. And by maladaptation, I mean, for example, that there could be as a result of a program based on um, an assessment that fails to think about extremes, uh, investment in coping for, for shorter term um, impacts, which uh, it then turns out in the longer term or under larger climate change uh, uh, was a waste of, of time and money. There could be investment in the short term that actually makes um, action in the longer term more difficult or more expensive. And there could even be a failure to invest early enough in uh, the kinds of long lifetime and long planning decisions, the kinds of things that Mark was directing us to, a, a failure to invest early enough um, to actually bring those sorts of things into play. So I just raise that as a potential concern. Well, will our current adaptation approaches work if we're thinking about more than four degrees C of climate change? 
Um, and the, the point here really is that, as we've heard over the last few days, this level of climate change could mean impacts that, that are of greater magnitude than those that we currently anticipate under our approaches. These, these sorts of approaches of risk analysis, of economic prioritisation and vulnerability assessment, at least in the ways that we currently use them. So it seems that incremental adaptation, which is uh, the kind of strategies that we have uh, by and large been working on, may not get there fast enough if four degrees of climate change and sea level rise and all the wider impacts are really the, the things that are possible, and it looks that, that they may be so. So it looks like the assessments that we are currently undertaking may fail to consider extreme climate scenarios, and therefore that the strategies that we are currently undertaking to prepare for climate change will likely be inadequate for those larger impacts when they come along. And of course, we come in here to this whole area of thinking about limits to adaptation. Now, there is a huge research gap. I think many of us understand that there are limits to adaptation, but we don't exactly know uh, where they are, what they are, and what to do about them. So I would say that there is a large research gap here. There are limits to adaptation in physical terms, um, quite apparently. But the one that I want to uh, stress here is that maybe in methodological terms, we are presenting ourselves with limits to adaptation now, which perhaps we can more easily get around. The approaches that we've currently used are, in fact, giving us, leading us to limits in adaptation. Uh, there are a whole range of other limits to the adaptation we're willing to undertake uh, through cultural, financial reasons, and so on. Thanks. Um, just to highlight that these issues of capacity building and mainstreaming again. So capacity building for adaptation is, of course, an essential first step. We can't take any action until we actually understand what it is we need to do, understand um, how to do it. But a high capacity to adapt, it's been quite clearly shown, is not always a guarantee of, of real action in the face of risk. So our strategies that really focus upon building adaptive capacity do not actually provide us necessarily with the guarantee that we can and will adapt when the risks uh, present themselves. Uh, secondly, the issue of mainstreaming which says that climate is just another risk to be considered amongst others. Um, now, don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of mainstreaming, and in all the work that I do working with, um, with the public sector or with companies and thinking about climate change, I encourage people to mainstream it, to think about climate change alongside everything else that they do. But it does mean that uh, then our thinking about climate change and how to adapt is dependent upon the timescales of the decision-making that we already do day to day, the kinds of scenarios that we already deal with, and we're therefore faced with dealing with the traditions and conventions that we have in place. Um, there are likely to be trade-offs between costs that we're willing to put into adaptation and perhaps the robustness of the adaptation measures we're thinking about. Mainstreaming also tends to lead us towards balancing climate against non-climate risks, uh, which may or may not be uh, a good thing to do. And I'd say, ultimately, mainstreaming cannot drive very fundamental changes in policy. And when we're thinking about four degrees C of climate change or more, then it may be that we do need to start thinking about some fundamental changes to the things that we do. And I don't think that mainstreaming actually allows us to do that. Uh, alongside all of that, we know that decision-making is complex. Forgive me that this is a very fuzzy slide. It's taken from a, a completely different area um, about cognitive decision-making. The red line goes from gathering data, the problem at the top, moving down to a solution at the bottom. And the red line is sort of what we think should happen when we're taking decisions. We gather some data, we analyse it, 
we formulate a solution and then we implement it. And the green line shows actually what happens cognitively when uh, people come to take decisions. Uh, there's a huge oscillation between what we think the problem is, how we think we're going to fix it as we gain more information and uh, move through. So decision making is complex. And then the final point I want to raise to think about whether our current approaches to adaptation actually work is to draw us to think about the language that we use. So adaptation is defined by the IPCC as adjustments in natural or human systems in response to, to climate changes. We use language like coping, which would perhaps imply that we have to continue to deal with a suboptimal situation. We like, or some of us don't like, to use the phrase climate proofing, uh, where the implication is that we have something that we want to do and we can preserve it despite anything that is attacking it on the outside. We use language like building resilience, so thinking about continuing despite any of the other inconveniences around presented by climate. We, we use risk management and it's perhaps the implication there that we can identify risks and then just manage them away somewhere. And we use things like no regret options, win-win options. Uh, the focus very much on minimal changes. Um, so the whole language that we use around adaptation really does seem to be focusing upon doing small things. Not quite tinkering around the edges, but nevertheless trying to preserve something that we currently do for the future. Um, and it would seem to me that based on what we've heard over the last few days, that if we're dealing with four degrees C of climate change, then adjustments to what we currently do really aren't going to give us the security that we need. So what else can we do? Um, I'll skip through these examples. I would uh, tell you that, the, the, that our recent, uh, a recent project uh, led by the Environment Agency um, on thinking about flood protection in London and the whole of the Thames estuary has really tried to use different approaches to adaptation. Um, and on this figure, don't worry too much about the detail, um, but the idea is that as you move across, there are different levels of um, sea level rise or water level rise here throughout the estuary and different kinds of options that could come into play at those <coughs> different kinds of um, extents of impact. And the idea being that you can plot a pathway through those different kinds of options and, and switch from one pathway to another as you understand more about the uh, extent of climate change you're going to face. And here I want to really borrow or, or steal or direct you to some language um, developed uh, uh, by Roger Jones and colleagues in uh, a, a couple of papers recently. And think about, as we're thinking about towards the right-hand side of this picture, this schematic, uh, much greater extensive adaptation, we're really looking to move away from just the kind of autonomous and, and general ideas of, of building capacity over here into something which uh, he has termed transformative adaptation, and that term did come up yesterday as well. Um, specific adaptation would be the kinds of actions we actually take because we know climate change is happening and we want to introduce a new technology or we want to uh, build resilience or we want to, to make particular changes to what we do. But transformative adaptation is where we might have to replace an activity altogether. We might need to abandon acti an activity. We might need to transform it into something that's very different because we've got a much greater change ahead. And I realise this echoes, I think, a lot of what Mark has said earlier. So let's think about approaches then under a focus on transformative adaptation. Well, our assessments would need to include the highest impact scenarios rather than focusing just on what we might term realistic or likely. We'd certainly need to consider longer time frames. 
Systems approaches or systematic approaches may well help us here. Uh, transparent decision-making, robust decision-making was mentioned by Mark. These are all the kinds of assessments we might want to consider. And remember that I didn't say all those uh, current, our current approaches are, are wrong in any way, but we do need to think about them perhaps in this much broader frame. And so our strategies that we might look to develop then include at least adaptive management, but idealised design where we might say, if the climate is something very different, where do we want to be? How might we get there? What stops us? What would need to change? Flexible pathways, which is the kind of approach that uh, is exemplified in that Thames Estuary project. Risk hedging I've put in there because Mark has mentioned it. Um, so the, the final slide then is to say, for four degrees C climate change, do we need to think about moving to a new response paradigm? We don't want to talk necessarily about adaptation, but maybe a continuous transformation which I would define as an ongoing process of changing what we do and how we do it to achieve our objectives both today and in future climates. And this is an important point, understanding our objectives, what it is that we want to do, what do we want society to be like, what kinds of things do we want to do, recognising that we need to do them now as well as in four degrees C climate change as well. So we're transforming our systems and our societies to function well today and in a world with a different climate. It's an ongoing process. Those involved in adaptation know that it's not about achieving an adaptive state, but an ongoing process, and that's the emphasis here. Now, in reality, there will, of course, be a spectrum between what um, I've sort of caricatured as adaptation, those sort of minor adjustments, and um, the much larger scale transformation that I'm perhaps suggesting we need to think about. And that spectrum would be dependent upon the lifetime of the decision uh, Mark's put that across very, uh, very well just now. But we do need to keep considering a full range of scenarios. We do need to know our objectives, what it is that we want to do, um, regardless of climate change. We do need pathways which can uh, offer flexibility if uh, the outcomes are slightly different or, or the endpoints look slightly different as we get more and more information. And we do need to be uh, realistic that some transitions, Mark's made this point clearly, uh, and so has Mike, uh, that some transitions may not actually be possible. So my final slide then, just to respond, to, to sum up. What would four degrees C of climate change feel like? Well, we've seen that already. I don't think we needed to be told it, but we've seen it very clearly, that it's a world of difference. Our current approaches to adaptation, to me, seem to be about making small adjustments and coping. Will these work? I think if uh, climate change turns out to be four degrees C of climate change or more, then they, some of these approaches may turn out to be maladaptations. So what else can we do? Well, perhaps continuous transformation is what we need to preserve our societies and our sister systems into a, a future climate world. Thank you.